last few weeks, we've been looking at relationships and how important it is for us to get it together. And so we began looking at our spiritual relationship, and we looked at comparison and contrast and how that we can struggle with that. We looked at friendships, and last week we looked at our marital relationship. How many of you wore your stone out this week? I teased my wife because I actually had a large stone on Sunday, and then earlier in the week I picked up a small stone. Somebody had dropped here, and so I picked up a small one. I had the small one too. So I showed it to my wife, and I'm like, it started off this big, and this is where it's at now. After the week I've had with you, woman. No, it's been, I'm kidding. It's, it was awesome. But if you missed last week, heard a lot of good responses from that, um, please go back and listen to the podcast, all right? Today we're going to be looking at the idea of our, our ship in response to the lost. We, we are not people that are on the SS super righteous. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like the cruise ship. That's not what the church is supposed to be. And everybody take care of my needs because I'm on the cruise ship. That's not, that's not what a church is. A church is a battleship on a rescue mission. That's what a church is, amen? Not a cruise ship. Bless me, touch me, do things for... No, rescue those lost and perishing in the waters of sin. That's what a church is. And so continuing with our series, about a year and a half ago, I met this fella, and we began a Facebook um, friendship. And, and with it, his passion to reach the lost is just, it's exciting, you know. And, and with that, a year and a half ago, I asked him to come this Sunday and speak to us. So he's been on the calendar a long time, and I just wanted him to come and speak to us in regards to what it looks like reaching folks, you know. And, and this man, his name's Jay Covert. I'll invite him to the stage here in a moment. He's one of our U.S. Assemblies of God missionaries, but he's also a church planter. And the difference is, with him than me, I'm a church planter. We started this church, and you guys aren't getting rid of me. <laughs> Not one person applauded. You heard that, right? Chaotic. Everybody's just like, great. My plan is to stay with you, you know, and then plan other churches with you, but I, this is home for me, you know. But this gentleman, he's a missionary in that he goes into the inner city, some of the roughest urban environments of America. He's in his, East St. Louis is where his base is, and some of the worst rough areas, and he raises up young indigenous leaders, young men, young women, to take over the churches that he starts. And in the last 13 years, he has started 10 churches in some of the roughest cities of America. And so I want to invite my friend from Urban Outreach Ministries, Jay Covert. Come on down. Well, hey, it's good to be with you. Um, I am from a small farming community in Indiana, so for me to even be doing all this inner city ministry for 17 years now, it's just beyond me. It is way out of my comfort level, but God pushes me to do it every, every week. Every day, you know, I'm committed to it. I'm a 91 Teen Challenge graduate, three years master's commission, spent four years in Washington, D.C., southeast. That's where I cut my teeth. And then as I was wanting to go back to the Midwest, and I was asking God where he had had me to go, he said, I want you to go to East St. Louis. I said, oh, God, that's such a bad city. Why, why, why do I have to go there? He said, this is where I want you to go. And so I, I remember... My first day there, June of 2004, yeah, I realized I went into one of the most violent cities in America. I don't know what the, um, the murder stats were for 15, but in 14, we had 27 murders in a city of 26,000, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm accustomed to violence. I see it, you know, very close up. And so you have to realize I went into a city of no buildings, no staff, didn't know anybody, very violent, very uh, 
you know, very violent city. And so I found a bus bench my first day there. I sat on it, and I said to God, I said, I'm here now. What do you want me to do? Right? You sit me here, no building, no stuff. I don't know anybody. And God spoke to me three things that day. He said, Jay, I want you to reach out to the addicted, the afflicted, and the hopeless. I want you to feed and clothe those that the churches do not want, the throwaways, right? The people that no one knows what to do with. Those are the people I'm giving you. I want you to plant four churches, and I want you to raise up indigenous pastors. So as we fast forward today, we have seven buildings. We planted four churches, and all of our pastors are indigenous, and we are a debt-free inner city ministry. We have no debt on our ministry. And then we've just, we've yeah, you know, and we've continued to to multiply our, our ministry in other cities. And, you know, and, and so for my first year there, I was doing ministry by myself. And so I had to roll the windows out of my car. I had to leave my doors unlocked. And I'm driving around, feeding people, clothing people. And drug dealers would just openly jump in my car. I'd be, I mean, I didn't roll stop signs. That's a sign of fear. And you know why? I learned really fast how to get them out of my car, right? I'd just start preaching to them about Jesus, and they jump out as quick as they jumped in. And so I knew the area. I knew, I knew what was going on because I took the time to know the city, and, you know, and, and God began to um, raise up my pastors with me. And by the way, all my pastors, originals now, I've been there going on 13 years. They've been there 11 and 12 years with me. I've kept all my crew, and they run everything um, there in the city force. And so... We have a crack epidemic in our community, so I knew, I knew where the crack houses were. And so I had a 17-foot custom-built cooker made, and so I just decided one day, at this time I had one pastor on staff with me, I, I just decided we're going to go to the crack house and we're going to cook out. And he's like, are you crazy? I was like, I, you know, crazy and cold, but I want to see what's going to happen, you know? And, and so we went there that day, and we cooked out. We fed over 60 people. We began to befriend people, Right? We begin to make friends, and, and, and now those crack houses, all that's all gone. They tore it all down and put new houses in there. And, and so then I began to know the areas of our city where the drug dealers were hanging on the corners and the gang members were. And there's one particular corner where they say it's the most violent corner in the city. At any given day, you got 10 to 15 gangbangers and drug dealers hanging on that corner. And, you know, at this time now, I've got three pastors on staff with me, and, and I don't say anything to them. And so we get to that corner. I shut the van off about 20 feet from those guys. I said, are you guys ready? And Tommy says, Pastor, what do you, what do you mean are we ready? Pastor, I grew up in this neighborhood. This is the most violent corner in the city. I said, I know that, Tommy. And this is how you have to look at it. After we take this corner, the rest of them will be easy. Right? We're, we're getting out today. We're going to cook out for these, these guys. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe they're going to be mean to us, cuss us out, not talk to us. I will say this. They, were, they, were, uh, uh, they weren't shy about cars pulling up and them selling drugs right in front of us, cussing and carrying on. And, and, and then as they begin to know us, then the, the, they would get on each other about cussing in front of the, the, the reverend and, and just crazy stuff. And so we conquered that corner. Well, that corner no longer exists because the big apartment that they were operating and running drugs out of it burned down. And so we have a prostitution problem in our city, too. And so it's not uncommon for us to take young girls off the streets. We take them from their pimps, and we get them far, far away, get them in programs and get them away from the city. And, and one block from where our church is in East St. Louis, there's a hotel. And in that hotel, it's a brothel. And there are 24 rooms of prostitution going on. 
And, and what happens is when the Johns come into the place, sometimes the children will answer the door. So you know what that means, right? They're you're seeing what their mother's doing, or they're being locked up in the bathroom. And that bothers me. And so I, I told the pastors, we're, we're going to start doing ministry there. And so we started tackling that, that area, just going in there and, and loving on those girls, bringing in flowers to them, you know, and, and just being the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, here's, here's the thing. We have to love Jesus in people and love the hell out of them. Regardless of who they are, what they look like, it doesn't matter. You and I cannot change anybody. But we can be the hands and feet of Christ and be used of God to, to make a difference. And, and so, you know, here's the thing. If Jesus was in East St. Louis and he was roaming that, that community, he would be at those crack houses. He, he would be in those crack houses sitting on the milk crates. And as those guys are hitting their crack pipes, he'd just be talking to them and loving on them. He'd be on that corner with them drug dealers and, and those gangbangers. He'd be in a... He'd be in the brothel with the prostitute. Now, I want to remind you this morning that in the bloodline of Christ, right in the middle, there's a prostitute named Rahab that's in the, in the bloodline. Think about that. That God, God's making a, a significant point that he loves the prostitute. Now, who would have issue with Jesus hanging in, in all those spots? Right? Church people. Oh, they'd be, they'd be nagging. I can't believe Jesus hanging out over there. But let me remind you something this morning, that it was not dirty, rotten, stinking sinners that put Jesus on the cross. It was church people that put him on that cross. It was the religious zealots of the day. Friend, guard your heart. Guard, guard your heart. Don't, don't let religion and, and American Christianity form you into something that we're not called to be, right? We're, we're called to be people that make a difference and and, and listen, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you do not have an exemption card from ministry. You are a missionary where you work and where you live. Your pastor doesn't go with you to work. He doesn't shop where you shop. He's not in school with you. You're a light in the midst of darkness. Outside the walls of this building today, it may look like everything's fine and dandy and people got together, but friend, there are people, there are families that are broken and hurting and they don't know where to turn. They don't know Jesus. They're not in church and God wants to use you to bring the gospel to them. Amen? You know, we're, we're not... Um, we're not immune from violence. Where two of our church plants are there in um, Washington Park, April 2010, the mayor was shot twice in the chest and killed in his car in broad daylight. October of 2011, we found a teenager had been shot in the head face down. It was pool blood in our church parking lot. It happened on Saturday night. We come to church. We're dealing with a homicide. Right across the street from our church in East St. Louis, a man was out cleaning the, the parking lot of his business. It's like a 1,000 feet from our church. And three guys came up on him. They shot him, killed him, robbed him. Broad daylight. December of 2013, I had a pastor visiting with me. I could see our building. And all of a sudden, we're, in, we're caught up in the middle of the wrong spot. We're in the middle of gang violence. We're in the middle of a drive-by going on. On my side of the van, 300 feet, 20 gunshots going off. The driver and shooter pull out of the parking lot. 200 feet behind me, they shoot up two cars. Six people got hurt. So we're aware of where we're at. Friend, if we're going to change our community, then we got to shine the light bright in darkest places. We, we have to be aggressive. We have to be, we have to be a people that, that's going to go after Jesus with all their heart. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, 22. We're just going to buzz through this really fast. Because I have uh, 
Three more stories I want to tell you. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When, When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to him, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Friend, here's the deal. We're either, uh, uh, we're either, Boat setters, we're going to stay in the boat, or we're water walkers. Most of us are going to stay in the boat because it's comfortable. The majority will always do what's easy, but there is always that one that will test Jesus and will get out in the water and, and can walk. You can walk on water. You can do amazing things for God. You can do the impossible, friend. Jesus still heals. He still saves. He still delivers. He, he, uh, he is the same yesterday, and to, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. But here's the difference. When we take our eyes off Jesus, then fear sets in. And then you will fail. We have to keep our eyes on him. We have to keep our hearts on what he's doing. We have to have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying because the Spirit of God knows what's going on in in, in your community. He's aware of the strongholds. He's aware of the hurt. And if we're a Pentecostal church, then we move in the apostolic and prophetic. We don't apologize for moving in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. We move in them. And friend, when we move in the gifts of God outside the walls of the church, it gets the attention of someone that doesn't know Jesus. You know how, you, know how you move in those gifts? Because you spend time with Him. When you spend time with Him and you know His presence, and, and you, you see, we can't have the power of God until we have the presence of God. Because when we have the presence of God, the power is uh, around that. And God shows up and shows out and moves. You know, it was, it was a few years ago, you know, we, we have a reputation in our city. And, and, and they call me the crazy white preacher. Because I don't have no fear. God didn't give me a spirit of fear. He gave me a spirit of love and a sound mind. But I will say this. He has given me a spirit of concern. I do get concerned the places he makes me go. Right? It just rocks my boat. I told, we went to South Atlanta metal detecting yesterday, and I mean, that was a, you know, I mean, it's a hood, but it wasn't that bad of a neighborhood. But I, I, I avoid big cities. I don't like driving through them. I don't like driving around them. I try to avoid them because every time we drive through them, God tells me to plant our church. And so, <laughs> so I just figured if I don't see it, I don't hear it, he ain't going to say nothing. 
Well, one day I was down at the building, and we, we keep our stuff locked. I mean, they, they, they'll sew anything if it's not nailed down. And, and someone's out there banging on the door, and I'm trying to figure out who is aggressively banging on that door. They sound like they're going to tear the door down. And so I'm trying to sneak up on the door and peek out the shade without that person seeing me because if they see me, that means I'm going to have to answer the door. And so I peek out, and he caught me. He said, I see you in there, pastor. Open up the door. And I'm like, man, this dude is big. I mean, James Arrington was a big boy. He wore a size 52 pants. That's how big he was. And he looked like, I'm not kidding, he looked like Fat Albert. He did, I mean, just his face and the way he was built. And, and as I got to know James, we became friends. I, I'd be like, come on, James, do it. He'd, he would do it. He'd say, hey, 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 it's the Fat Albert Show. Well, he wasn't so nice when I first met him. And so I, I, he said, are you the pastor that feeds people? I said, I am. He said, well, me and my friend Thumbs, we want something to eat. And, and there's a, that's how big he was. There's a guy behind him. And so they, I didn't even see Thumbs. I just seen James, you know. And, and so they come in, and, and I know they're homeless, but I, I never want to assume because I, you know, I don't want to be wrong and then get chewed out. And, and so I said, so what's your story? And James says, I, I live in that burned out building next to your church. I said, is that right? I said, it's getting cold. Do you need blankets? He said, yeah, I could use some blankets. And, and, and so I give him a food bag, and I give Thumbs a food bag. And James like, Pastor, I'm a big boy. I need two of those. And so I give him two bags. And I said, look, James, you're more than welcome to come to our church tomorrow, 11 o'clock. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, look at me, Pastor. I, I'm homeless. I stink. I'm dirty, and I'm a crack addict. You don't want me in your church. I said, James, you're wrong. That's why we're here. I said, you shouldn't have told me where you live. <laughs> because tomorrow morning, I'm going to be your wake-up call. And so I went over there the next day, and I'm looking in these um, windows, this burned-out building, and there he is. He's sleeping on milk crate cartons on cardboard boxes he has a blankets I gave him covered up and he's sleeping I startle him but he comes he comes to church he came for a month and I got all my pastors because sometimes they can be real religious you know they they, they think that uh, somebody should change the first day they come well they're they're not like them and, and so I said you you guys just have to be really gentle with he's a gentle giant you just gotta love him and, and let God move in him and so a month into it, he gave his life to Christ. But he was still down there at that telephone po- He was still down there at the telephone booth making his drug deals. And, and so he, he, he tells Pastor Eddie, I want to go to that Teen Challenge place that Pastor Jay went to. And so I, I took him Teen Challenge. I took him there. And, and he, he was 46 years old. You know, I'm 38 years old then. And, and so he's having second thoughts. It's, it's starting to settle in that... God's getting ready to change his life. And he was almost like a little kid that he was, he was crying in the back seat. And I was like, what's the matter? He said, Pastor, I'm scared. And I said, James, I said, I make a commitment to you today that when, whenever you get your pass, I'll come and get you and bring you down to East St. Louis. And when you graduate, I'll bring up a, a van full of people and we'll be there for you. And when you're ready to come home and transition from Teen Challenge, I will be there to pick you up and bring you. And I'll walk through all this with you. And so he's like, okay, and so he goes in the program, and, and for two weeks you can't have phone calls, you can't, you know, write letters or anything, and so his, his time's up, and he calls me, it's a Sunday night, and, and he says, Pastor, I have a question for you. I said, what is it? He said, would you adopt me as one of your sons? 
And so I'm thinking, what's, what's he want to move in with me? You know, when, I mean, what, what's he talking about? I said, well, you want to move in with me, James? He said, no. I just want to know that when I come out Team Challenge, that there'll be a place for me. That's all people want to know. Is when they come here, will you make a place for them? Regardless of who they are, what they're going through. And, I, and Ross has told me your church, so I know you guys are, are going to do it. Sometimes we just have to have a reminder of who we are so that we don't forget, so we don't neglect what God's called us to do. And so, you know, we launched our, our churches there in East St. Louis. And I thought, our fourth church, it's really cool. Uh, we're on the, I'm on the Illinois side of the river. The Mississippi splits East St. Louis and, and St. Louis, Missouri. And so in Missouri, that's how I say it, and, they, and they, they correct you for it there. And so in St. Louis, there's a population of 60,000 Bosnians. It's the largest Bosnian population outside of Bosnia. 90% are Muslim. They've been there for 10 years, and the Assemblies of God has not reached any of them. And that bothered me. We're, we're an incredible mission-sending, mission mission-supporting, uh, you know, church here, here in America overseas, but when it comes to reaching the people's groups here in America, we get a big fat F for failure. And the people's groups are already here. And so I said, okay, God, give me someone to plant the church, and I'll do it. He gave us someone to plant the church, and, and, and so we did that. And so I'm thinking, okay, I've done everything you said, and so now I'm just going to kind of kick back and relax a little bit, right, try to figure this out. And so for a couple months, God gave me time to rest, and then, and then he speaks to me and says, Jay, I want you to plant church in Denver. And I said, God? You're not going to make me move there, are you? Because they get a lot of snow. And it's cold. And I've worked hard where I'm at. I mean, you know what I've had to go through here. And I feel like I'm in a good place now. And he said, no, I'm not going to make you move there. But when you plant that church, I want you to begin planting churches on the West Coast. And so I said, well, you need to tell whoever you're calling to plant that church that. So that when I meet this person, they'll, they'll tell me that that's what you've called them to do, and it'll just be a, a perfect fit. Because we move very apostolically, very prophetically in our ministry. I mean, we, we operate the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so, let me tell you, God has a sense of humor, right? He, I mean, he's amazing. And the way he does stuff, you know, some of us may be having a, a bad week, but listen, here's the deal. God is always orchestrating and ordaining his plan and purpose in your life every day. You just don't see the obstacles, the roadblocks, and the things he has to do to appoint your life to get where you need to be. And so sometimes we can get in that place where God just don't care and he's not moving in my life. He's moving, but a lot of times he has to deal with knuckleheads to get you where you need to go. And so on this particular day in July, I'm flying to Denver. I get my rental car. I'm driving up Interstate 25 to Cheyenne, Wyoming to speak at a Hispanic church called Restoration Fellowship. And so I'm in Fort Collins, and the youth pastor calls me. He says, where are you at? I said, well, right now I'm in Fort Collins. He said, really? He said, I I'm in Fort Collins too. He said, would you like to have dinner? I said, man, that'd be great. 
And so Isaac and I, now keep in mind, I've only talked to this guy twice. Once to book the service and once to confirm the service. I don't know anything about this guy. And so we're, we're eating dinner. And I felt so strongly impressed to ask Isaac a question. And so I said, Isaac, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah, what is it? I said, do you see yourself always being the youth pastor where you're at? Or is God telling you to do something different? He looked at his wife, Jamie, and they smiled at each other. And he said, God's calling us to plant church in Denver. Okay, now, I, now my, he's got my attention. Right, because I already know, okay, God, this is who you want to do this. And I was multitasking, by the way. I was eating a Five Guys hamburger, talking to God and Isaac all at the same time. Because I'm, I'm like Jacob, you know, I'm wrestling with God here. I'm not going to let go, God, until I get my answer. And so I said, Isaac, is that all God said to you was just plant church in Denver? He said, no. God said that once we established that church, that we were to plant three churches on the West Coast, one in Los Angeles, one in Portland, one in Seattle. I said, you're the guy. And it's so funny because we've done this a number of times now. They always look at me and say, what guy? <laughs> I said, God told me to plant church in Denver, but he wasn't specific with me as he was with you. He told you the cities. And I said, we'll do it. And so we got, you know, he did MIT with me, missionary training, raised his budget in 11 months. It's taking missionaries right now 18 to 24 months to be fully funded. And so... As we're getting close to it, I said to Isaac, I said, look, you have to plant that church in the worst part of Denver. I said, do you know where that's at? He said, that's the Five Points neighborhood. I said, that's where you have to plant. He said, I don't have a problem with it. And right now we're leasing a building. But here's the kicker, so cool. It used to be a Muslim mosque. Now it's a Christian church. And so he does something different. We, it's what we call the community dinner church. Because Denver has 20,000 homeless people. Um, on Thursday nights, he's not missed a Thursday night in over three years. He's 160 Thursday nights straight now doing this. And what they do is the homeless people will line up a couple hours before they're even open. A couple hundred people are lined up waiting to get in. And what they do is they, they, they feed them banquet-styled catered meals. I mean, they, I mean, I was just there two weeks ago. They roll the red carpet out. It is amazing. But you know what's also amazing? The stench of homelessness, the marijuana, the alcohol smells, knowing that most of these people would never go to church, but yet there's a church form in, in Denver. And, and so the church teams come in, and they minister and, and serve them, and then Isaac preaches a message and, 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 and loves on them. Well, when he was first in the neighborhood, he was trying to get his fitting there, and he's out doing prayer walks. He comes across this lady named Geraldine, and she's a, she's a prostitute. She's a crack addict, 30 years. And so they're talking, and she says, Isaac, she said, I'm pregnant. He said, really? He said, well, do you, do you mind if I pray for your baby? And she said, I don't care. And so he laid hands on her stomach, pray for the baby. And so for several months when he would see her, he would just pray for the baby. So she, she felt comfortable enough that she said, Isaac, do you know I've had four other babies? And none of them were ever born in a hospital. She said, matter of fact, I pulled two of those babies out of myself in a crack house. And so this fifth baby she has at the hospital. And they find drugs and alcohol in the baby's system. So the hospital says, you're not going to be able to take this baby home. Do you have family? She said, I don't, I don't have any family. Do, do you know anybody will take your baby? She said, I, I don't know anybody. She said, wait a minute, my pastor, he'll take the baby. And so 11 days after Nisea was born, Isaac and Jamie took that baby home. 
do not necessarily means for God's performed a miracle. A year later, they adopted that baby. Do you, do you know what that is? That's commitment. If you get anything out of this message this morning, you get this, that all God wants from us is for us to be committed. Committed to get out of the boat and walk on water. And if we'll get out of the boat and we'll walk with Jesus, we'll keep our eyes on him, then he's going to use us individually to build his kingdom and do crazy, amazing things. Or we can just sit in the boat and watch Peter and, and think, wow, that's so cool that, that Peter gets to do that, but I don't understand why I don't get to do it. Because you're not taking a step of faith. Everything we do in building God's kingdom requires an action of faith. The Bible even says that, that when we walk by faith, that, that we please God, he diligently rewards us. Right? It, Hebrews 11.1, 1, that's my favorite scripture. For faith is, you know, I mean, that, that, that's just my favorite. That's, you just, you know what, look it up today. I'm not even going to spoil it. Look it up. That's, that's the best scripture in the Bible because that pushes us to do what God's calling us to do. One more story. I went to Teen Challenge in Cleveland, Ohio. Or Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, and so, so for years, and that was back in 91, and so for years, I would jump, you know, I'm the plane there in Cleveland, get my rental car, and I'd, I'd make a hightail for um, Teen Challenge well in the middle of nowhere. And, and so on this one particular day where the interstate splits out, the Ohio State Troopers have the interstate blocked where I need to go. And so now it's forced me to go this different way, and so I'm processing everything. Okay, now if I go far enough down, go far enough down, I cut over, I can go through a couple of neighborhoods, hit a little suburb, and I can go around the east side of Cleveland because we already know what's on the east side of Cleveland, right? That's the hood. That's the worst part of the city, and I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't even want to see it. I just want to avoid it. And so I thought I went far enough down, but I didn't. And so I'm smack dab in the hood. You say, well, how do you know you was in the hood? Because now I'm starting to see all the burned out houses and the boarded up buildings. And, and now I'm seeing blocks and blocks of housing projects. And now I'm starting to see all these guys standing on the corner holding up the walls. And then it dawned on me. God, you set me up. <laughs> you, you stuck me here. And I could easily just said, I'm getting out of here. I said, okay, I'm here now. I'm going to drive around and look at the neighborhood. I spent an hour and a half driving around that neighborhood. And then I began to weep. I wore contacts, so I pulled my car over because I couldn't see straight. And I said to God, I said, why am I crying like this? Because I was sobbing. And I heard him say in that still, small voice, because, Jay, this is how I feel every day. I want you to plant a church in this neighborhood. So I said, okay, God, I will if you give me church planners. And it took him a year and a half to give me planners, and, and they live in that neighborhood. And I, I tried to talk him out of it. I said, if you're going to live there, at least get those big ADT signs, put them in your front yard. You know, get a big barking dog. Do what you can to keep your family safe, Bob. you got five kids. And, and so they're there. They're doing ministry, and God's blessing it. And they don't have a building, so they, they didn't whine about it. They just said, okay, we don't have a building, so we'll start a church in our house. So on Thursday nights, they started a church in our house. They had 40 to 60 people showing up. And then they went to Sunday, Sunday mornings, same thing. And then they seen the need 
for the children in their neighborhood. And so they said, we, we need to tutor these children after school. So they set up tutoring 20, 30 kids in their house every day, Monday through Friday. And then the house next door came open to them. So the bank sold them this 1,600 square foot house for 500 bucks. Yeah, I'll tell you what kind of neighborhood you're in. You buy a house for $500. And so they, they've renovated it. It appraises now for 40000 And then they moved the, their church from their house into that house. And they're still waiting on God to give them a building because they're at that place now where they, they're not going to be able to grow anymore because they've maxed it out. So right now, here's where we're at. We're in Washington, D.C., Southeast. We're in Staten Island and the Jersey Street Projects. We're in Cleveland, Ohio. We're in Covington, Kentucky. We're, we're working and merging an independent church in, a, in Cincinnati. They're going to give us a building and their congregation will put it in our network. We're in... East St. Louis, Washington Park, Illinois. We're in St. Louis, Missouri. We're in Denver, Colorado. We just launched uh, June of last year in the 7th uh, Ward, St. Rock of New Orleans. And our newest work, it goes online here probably about the next two months in Phoenix, Arizona. And so here's the thing. None of this is even possible without people like you. I mean, that's how we do it. We do it week in, week out, month after month. Somehow, I mean, it's overwhelming. It just blows me away. But you know what? Week after week, God does it. You know how he does it? Through the generosity in the hearts of his people. That's how he does it. And we make it. You know, and if the Lord tarries and, and I continue to, to do this, we're going to launch another uh, 10 to 15 churches in the future. And so I ask two things today. Would you commit to pray for me daily that God will give us planners? And number two, if and when you're picking up missionaries, would you consider picking us up for support? Amen? God bless you. Hey, ma'am, thank you very much. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. You can see why I love his heart, amen? And, um, and with that, you know, as a church, we give about 10%, we're not about, we give 10% of everything that comes in here away from us, okay, to other ministries, missionaries, and outreaches that don't have Momentum's name on it. And so with that, in partnership with Jay, we're looking forward to ministering and connecting with him. But today, as he's here, as we receive our tithes and offerings, as, as you leave today, if you feel led to give to that ministry specifically, please put in the notation, Urban Outreach or Jay Covert, so we'll know to add that to, you know, get that to him, okay, in finances. And then also, as you leave today, your normal tithes and offerings, you can give um, three different ways there at the door. Um, there's a box back there you can give online. You can and give all sorts of ways. So um, one thing I wanted to speak and kind of just take a moment with is it's just it's the idea of burden. You know, every community has burden. And here in Cherokee County right now, um, in the last few weeks, we've had two public suicides, you know, several private suicides just there in homes. Um, it just breaks my heart, you know, that, that there's people in need of the love and light of Jesus, and you extend that, you know. I don't even know what's going on in Orlando, Florida right now. I just... Heard that today. I, I, last night I didn't see the email, but it breaks my heart that, that um, in a community, um, a homosexual community, that people went into that club and just shot so many people up. I don't know anything about it, but it breaks my heart. And um, so often that community thinks of Christians as those who hate them. That's a dark community that needs the light of Jesus. Amen? And so I just want to take a moment and um, kind of pray. I don't want this weekend to go by without praying. Um, for those lives. Can we do that for a moment? Father, I feel very um, inept right now. I don't know anything about what's happening in Orlando. I just know there's pain there. And I know each of those lives that were lost 
there's family members that love them deeply and friends that love them deeply. And, man, what a tragedy. And so, Jesus, that act of terrorism, we ask that you just come and bring peace, Lord God. And, Father, that community that already feels so, so um, ostracized by the church, God, that, that you would send believers to, to love on them in a way that they could receive and understand. And, and Father, that truly we can, we can love them. Jesus, um, here in our own community, people that are burdened to the point of, of public suicide, God, we just ask that, that we would never be able to walk through our community without having a sense that it's our responsibility to bring the love, light, and joy of Jesus to people. And so we just ask that as Jay's minister today, he, he spoke prophetically, Father, that, that you can just hear a man who walks and hears the voice of God clearly. Let us be people that walk and hear your voice clearly. And then when we hear, respond in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.